Stepping to the mic today, Chris Miles here with my guy DJ and Greg Steed. Now, normally uh, an official, you only know their names when they do something wrong. But here, <laughs> we're here to promote you and say you've done a lot right. Been an NFL official since the year I got is 2003, man. So almost 20 years. Thanks for stepping to the mic today. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to hang out with you guys today. So I think the most important question, everyone knows uh, how officials are always the one to get the brunt of the fans, to get criticized by the media and never get praised. So what made you decide like, you know, I'm going to be an official. <laughs> you know, I get asked that question all the time. And I will tell you when I played football back at the math, the last thing that I thought about was becoming an official. I used to always say how they would get in the way of the game. They would disrupt the flow and not allow the, the players to play. But there became a time in which I could not play anymore. And I decided, hey, this was an opportunity for me to be part of the game. And that's how I got into officiating. Well, speaking of getting involved in the game and getting in the way, your rookie year as an NFL official, you had an incident. Can you break down what, what exactly happened? Uh, you actually getting involved in the play in the most negative way possible? You know, <laughs> I remember that play like it was yesterday. It was my rookie year, week 15 of the season, St. Louis Rams versus the Seattle Seahawks. And Seattle was actually vying for a playoff uh, spot. There was a play which just above two minutes left of the game. I'm in the middle of the field. My position as a back judge, I'm like the safety. So no one is supposed to get behind me. I look up and the ball is coming directly at me. I try to, in my Marine Corps way, drop, plop, and roll out of the way. And the receiver chips over me as he attempts to make a catch. I tripped him and the ball fell incomplete. I looked up at him and he's complaining. And I just looked at him and said, my fault, bro, my fault, man. Well, I had to shake it off because we still had some more football left to play. But throughout that week, on partnering the interruption with Michael Wilbon, it was featured. They called me the um, tripping ref. And it was just something that, how embarrassing it was, it was also an opportunity for me to say, you know what, this happens, we're part of the game, but we have to move on and, and complete. Uh, the game. So again, it was embarrassing, but it's something that I can laugh at to this day and look back and share with, with um, youngsters. Well, Chris, if, uh, if Wilbon got a hold of it, I got to imagine it's out there floating around on Worldstar somewhere, uh, or was this the advent of, uh, or before Worldstar, Greg, before they got a chance to take a look at it? Tell you, that, that video clip is out there. Trust me. I've, <laughs> I've had many, many folks lead up to that uh, when I go to speak at schools somehow a teacher gets a hold of that clip and they play it for their students just to break the ice <laughs> <laughs> so I Thanks. always tell them what I did I tripped over an M&M somebody dropped some M&Ms out <laughs> on the field and I tripped over that's what happened that's good stuff Greg that's good stuff you know but you know talking about getting into this to this field to this occupation you know a lot of times we don't get there by ourselves and you have a pre pretty interesting story about how you uh, had a mentor that looked out for you when, you know, when others were not so inclined to do so. Can you break that down for uh, for the listening audience for us? Oh, most definitely. You know, mentoring is a very important aspect of any career. And 
when I started officiating, I had opportunity to become a member of the CIAA conference, the Central uh, Interstate Athletic Association, which is a predominantly black um, conference. Well, at the oh, time- on this, they, pod, on this podcast, we know what the CIAA is. <laughs> and we know what the tournament is. You don't got to break <laughs> You know, I, I don't know the entire audience. I'm glad you pointed that out. So I had opportunity to become a, a member of an officiating crew as a swing official. And there was a guy, I'm not going to name any names, but he said I wasn't ready to be part of the officiating crew. And he said I wasn't, I didn't know the rules well enough and it wouldn't be a good idea to bring me on as a swing official. So I didn't get the opportunity. Well, there was a guy by the name of Johnny Greer and many know who this person is. He was the first white hat Black American to work the White Hat, I should say, in the National Football League, who was one of my main mentors out of the Washington, D.C. area. Well, he referred me to Paul Glenn, who was the supervisor of officials of the MEAC at that time. And Paul Glenn, based on Johnny Greer's recommendation, brought me on to initially work two, two games in the MEAC. Well, because of my performance in those two games, I ended up working six games that year, which was unheard of. And the rest is history. Well, the story, the moral of the story is, hey, you, you should always help people. And because that person didn't help me, guess what? He never made it out of the CIAA, but I made it onto the NFL. And that's the story that I tell others all the time. Always help others that come behind you because you can be a blessing to them and also helps you become a better person as well. I think that's a, go ahead, TJ. Yeah, I'm no, gonna I, say, I, yeah go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. No, I was going to say that's a that's a great story of resiliency. And when I think about being an official, how difficult is that when you do get that criticism, and when when you do have you know these moments in your career that you think back, like man, I had to have a positive attitude to get over it. When there is a call that maybe you second guessed yourself or you got criticized for, how difficult is that? Like, how much of that do you take home with you uh, when you leave the field? You know. That's a great question. And I would say no official wants to make a mistake. Uh, we take our profession very seriously. Uh, we do not want to have an impact on the game. And it takes a certain mental strength, I believe, to be an official. I like to joke all the time that I developed that mental strength back at home growing up as the oldest of four kids. I was the only male. I had three younger sisters. So me and my dad were the only males in the house and he worked at night. So I spent a lot of time developing my mental acuity and strength from dealing with my sisters. <laughs> so that's what I <laughs> joke about all the time. But seriously, you know, you have to be, be able to, you know, when you do make a mistake, that's the human element of the game. And you have to put that mistake behind you and do your best not to make the same mistake again. And also own up to your mistakes. Um, Hey, there's times in which I throw my flag and I wish I had a string on it that I could pull it back and I get asked by a coach, hey, you know, you, you messed that one up. You know, what you going to do? I said, coach, you're right. I messed that one up. And once you own up to it, that diffuses the whole situation because players know they make mistakes. Coaches know they make mistakes as well. And it's just a matter of being accountable and putting it behind you and working not to make that same mistake again. Greg, you hail from the Mecca. DeMonte Catholic High School. We both come from that uh, that great institution. 
what lessons did you take uh, from DeMatha throughout your playing career now into your refereeing career that have uh, stood with you through the test of time? Oh, preparation, um, focus, having to earn everything that comes your way. One thing, is you, Ted, as you know, being an athlete coming from DeMatha is there's always two or three people ready to step in in case you get hurt and you're unable to play. And in order to hold that spot, you have to compete and you have to prepare and you have to not only prepare during the season, but during the off season. So as an official, what does that mean? Studying the rules. We have to take a rules exam. The philosophies change each year. We may have different rule changes each year, which we have to study and stay on top of because as an official, you are, we are there to maintain the integrity of the game. And if we don't know the rules, then the coaches and players aren't going to have any confidence in us. Well, not only the rules, but our physical ability. We have to stay in shape. So I joke all the time, I get older, but as you know, the majority of the professional athletes and, the one, and also collegiate athletes, they're pretty much the same age, you know, they're within a particular age group and they're in the best shape of their lives. But if I want to be able to do this over a long period of time, I have to, I have to prepare. And I, I got that foundation from DeMatha, being able to prepare, focus, and also having resiliency. Those things I, I take from DeMatha. Are you, uh, are you gonna get on that Ed Hockley uh, uh, big gun workout program that he has going on? <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> tell you, um, I had a doctor tell me some years ago, it's good to be slim, it's good to be lean and have that lean muscle. No need to have that bulk because you're not playing anymore. So that's what I focus on. <laughs> Good enough, good enough. What is your workout regime now? Like, how does an official stay in shape? I mean, I know you do a lot of running during the season. Do you take the off season to, to kind of rest up or do you kick it into high gear? You know, once, this, as, as you know, the season, it's a long season. You know, we work generally uh, 20 games, that which includes four preseason games. And that makes for a long season. So, what I generally do is once the season is over, I take a, probably about a few weeks off to let my body, you know, recuperate and, and relax and get back, you know, so it can heal, I should say. But once that two or three week period is over, we have a physical that we have to prepare for. So that physical usually has to be done in, in April or May. So I, I start working out, at least doing some cardio and strength conditioning workout at least three days a week. And I find, I have found that when I don't follow that routine and that schedule, I enter the season unprepared and out of shape. And that's the worst thing you can do when you are on this type of level. So like I say, I started about um, a week ago, actually preparing for next season. So that's, what, that's what we generally do. What's the hardest game you've had to finish? Because I, I sit there and I think about like a wide receiver when it's, you know, negative five degrees outside in Green Bay in December or January. I'm like, how is a guy going to catch a pass in this? Or I, I know it's raining and it's, you know, a monsoon out there. I'm like, how is a running back going to be out there? But for an official, you know, for you to be able to see everything, move, keep up with these athletes, is there a particular game that stands out to you as the most difficult you've had to officiate? Oh, most definitely. I, I go back. I had a game early in my career. It was in Chicago. As a matter of fact, it was Atlanta Falcons versus Chicago 
and it was a Sunday night game. As a matter of fact, Michael Vick still played with Atlanta at that time. I believe at kickoff, it may have been um, 10 below zero. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. But I tell you, it goes to that, you know, the focus and the mental acuity of athletes putting that, that thought of it being cold outside of your mind. Because if you think about it, it's going to take away from what you should be doing. That is officiating that game. But I can tell you what, you know, once you get out there and that adrenaline starts going, you stop thinking about it until you have those timeouts, which is <laughs> you stop running. And guess what? I go over there with the players by those heaters and try to get a little warmth as much as I can. But it, it, it does speak to, you know, mental strength and blocking things out. And I think that's one thing that elite athletes do all the time. They block out those exterior factors that can deter them from getting the job done. What did you think about the pass interference calls in the Super Bowl? The Mike Evans one, uh, where at the end of the second quarter, and then the Mike Evans one on Tyron Matthew. Because the first one, I'm like, well, what do you, what is a player to do? I mean, Mike Evans' foot hit the other player's foot, and then he fell, and there was pass interference. And then Tyron Matthew was standing there. I'm like, man, eight penalties for 95 yards uh, against the Chiefs. That seemed like a lot in the first half. And also, you know, as an official, when you feel that. In, in a certain part of a game, like, do you feel as if one team has momentum from you guys? So a two-part question there. Can you feel in a game when a team seems to be, you know, have momentum with you guys kind of getting most of the calls? And what did you think of those two calls in the Super Bowl? Um, okay, first I'll go to those two calls. Um, the, the first one, I believe, was the, the Mike Evans one. What I mm -hmm. saw on that play is the defender – I mean, they both are not, they, we called, we used the mentality, I'm sorry, the philosophy chase mode. That is the defender is chasing behind the receiver. So he's trying to catch up. And when he's in that position, he's, that's a bad position to be in. So usually there's nothing you can do, but something bad. Well, I saw his hand hit the back foot of the receiver. That caused a disadvantage to Mike Evans. And I do recall, I believe uh, one of the announcers made a, a point that maybe the ball was uncatchable. Well, I'm going to tell you, I've seen these, players stretch out you know seven eight yards for a pass or go up in the air when you think that that ball may land in the back of, of the bench area and that player gets up there snatches the ball out of there and get two feet in so when I saw that play I felt it was a disadvantage caused by the defender and I believe that was a good call um now on the other pass interference I think you believe on you saw Matthew I actually like the call because what I saw was the defender step out and he took away the receiver's path to the back of the end zone. If you notice, that ball was thrown. The ball was in the air and the defender steps out in the receiver's path, which affected the receiver. He made contact while the ball was in the air. So, again, I look at whether it was disadvantage or advantage on a play. In my opinion, I saw it was a disadvantage. So I like both of the balls. Now, that's one thing about officiating. And being, you know, um, Monday morning quarterback, we all can look, go back and look at the replays and have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, what's the other part of your question again? So as an official, when you're in a game like that, for instance, it, from a slow. fan standpoint, being home, you're like, like, man, the Bucks are getting every call. Now, they deserved it. But from an officiating standpoint, do you ever feel that momentum where you're like, man, I feel as if we're giving every team the calls like they have the momentum right now 
Like, do you have some sort of human nature where you're like, we got to balance this out because it's one side. I, I can tell you that mindset does not hold for an official. In other words, we just call what we see. Now, do we feel a momentum change? Absolutely. You can feel when a momentum change, but we don't look at it from the standpoint, oh, we got to make this call to balance it out. We see a foul, we call a foul. Uh, do we err in judgment at times? Absolutely. But at no time do we look at a particular play and say, oh, I need to uh, make this call. It might be marginal, but it's going to balance things out. That's not how we officiate the game, because if we were to do something like that, then that questions our integrity. And it also brings into the question of the integrity of that game. Again, we try to make the best call from what we see. And it's, a lot of times it's based on angles. You know, so the angle I might have, I have a better view. Someone else might not have that better view. But the people at home, I think the Super Bowl, they had over 30-something cameras. <laughs> you get every angle. We only get one angle and one opportunity to make that call in a split second. And if I'm not mistaken, statistics have shown that we are over 98% correct in our calls. So I'll take that any day. Wow, that's a pretty good stat right there. You're talking about 98%. That's uh, that's kind of hard to refute if you're a fan if they take a look at that. Is that better? That's any... like is that like your dunk percentage? <laughs> you play <laughs> Chris, that's more like my foul percentage. <laughs> now, I, I think it was I think it was his dunk percentage, Chris. Just like you said, it was his dunk percentage. Both of you brothers are too kind. Y'all both know that I was uh, vertically challenged, but that's all right though. I appreciate the love. Hey, hey, Greg, when you think about uh, you know, your career as a as an NFL ref, has there been a favorite moment that you uh that you remember uh finally uh one over any any uh, any other? Yes, uh, actually this moment happened last year, the last year's Super Bowl. Um Super Bowl 54. I had the opportunity to officiate that game with my cousin Boris Cheats, who so native Washingtonian played basketball at Morgan State University and who also was instrumental in me getting into officiating. He actually invited me out to become an official in, in a um, adult flag and touch league. Well, he's now, I think he just completed his 25th year in NFL. He's worked three Super Bowls. And that third Super Bowl, he and I happened to be able to work together. So that was a very special moment for me because not only did I have the opportunity to be blessed to work a Super Bowl, it was also with my family member who got me involved in the sport or in, in the profession of officiating. Well, just recently, you were uh, a part of uh, history, not just history, but more specifically Black history, when you got a chance to participate in uh, the game, NFL game with all Black referee uh, staff. You know, uh, talk about how that came about and some of your thoughts surrounding that, uh, that game. Wow. You know, it was a very special moment, one that was long overdue. When you, you know, knowing the history of the number of African-American officials who paved the way for me, whose shoulders that I stand on, you know, I mentioned Johnny Grizz, the first Black referee. Um, Larry Hill, senior, who was the first Black replay official in the NFL. He was one of my main mentors. He was instrumental in getting me hired into the Arena Football League. He once officiated in the ACC and the USFL as a football official. Um, just the amount of time that people like Larry and 
and Johnny and the late Tom Beard, who uh, those at Howard University know him. He taught me the foundation of officiating. So these folks, you know, just who didn't get the opportunity to work with an all black crew on a professional level to see that happen. I know they were proud, but I will be even happier when it's not a focus of attention. When we're not talking about the race of the officials, it's just that these are the seven officials who are working the game. Um, that, that really would be a memorable moment for me, not to take away from history because we all know that in order for there to be a second or third or an infinite number of time occurrences, there has to be a first. And I was happy and proud to be a, a part of that moment. And that would live with me for the rest of my life. And also my children, you know, they're, it made them proud to be able to see their father be a part of that memorable moment. What was the, uh, what was the conversation like in the locker room before you guys took the field? You know, you guys are about to embark upon this, you know, historic moment. And you didn't get into this thing to, to, to do, you know, to be historic in this, in this position. But talk about that conversation as you guys get ready to take the field. Oh, you know, I believe a number of us probably have some, you know, water in our eyes, so to speak. Um, <laughs> you know, you want to shed a tear because of the magnitude of the moment. And for me personally, Jerome Boger, who was the white hat on the on that game, um, Barry Anderson, who was the umpire, the three of us worked in the MEAC together. So, you know, to come up from the MEAC, and now here we are on the big stage together in this historic moment, it, you know, it was special. You know, it again, it we were proud because of because we knew of all the officials who came before us, who set it up for us. And we talked about that. You know, you know, what about the the Tom Beers, the the Ben Montgomery's, the Larry Hills, you know, there's so many, you know, African American officials who only could work in the SWAT, in the CIAA, and in the MIAC for so long. And now here we are representing all of these historically black um, colleges and universities on the big stage. It was, it was special. And we talked about that a great deal leading up to that game. Certainly an, an inspiration and also an eye-opening experience in this sense. Um, I, I remember, you know, working in smaller markets and, and meeting officials that were trying to break it out of like, let's say Roanoke, Virginia, or covering, you know, teams in like Beckley, West Virginia, trying to make it to where you are. So I'm sure like when they see you, when they hear this story, it might be something that, you know, we look at and we say, oh, it's about time. But for those guys that are working hard to get there, uh, certainly you're an inspiration to them as well. Well, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that the inspirational part, because that's what it's about. Um, helping those who are coming up behind me to show them that, you know, if you put in the work, you put in the effort and have patience, you will have that opportunity. Just, you have to be ready when that door opens and you just don't, you just don't know when that door is going to open, but when it does, you must, you must run through full steam ahead. And that's one thing that I've learned throughout my career. And if you spill some Skittles on the field and triple receiver, it's all good, baby. <laughs> it's still in the Super Bowl. <laughs> right. Hey, 
You got to get up and move and keep pressing forward. <laughs> uh, Greg Steed, NFL official for almost 20 years now, uh, came up through the ranks, has some great stories. Thanks for stepping to the mic today. We appreciate you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to spend this time with you again. I'm, hey, I, I love the work that you all are doing. Thanks a lot, Greg. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Chris.